Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Oluwashina Okaleji in Lagos, Nigeria, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we catch up on the CAF Champions League with Egyptian giants Al-Athli and Zamalek both struggling in the group stage. Also, we ask whether Morocco deserved more at the Best FIFA Awards as Atraf Hakimi was picked in the FIFA Pro Men's World Eleven. And also, as CAF are expected to name the host of the 2025 Africa Cup of Nations this month, we take a look at which country might get the hosting. This all means that, that Morocco and, um, of course, Algeria are regarded as favourites and both nations will push hard. That's coming later, plus lots on the English Premier League as we look at the Eric Ten Hag effect at Manchester United. But first, the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt has reached the quarter-final stage, or if you're listening on Saturday, it's past the quarter-final stage now. The four semi-finalists qualify for the 2023 FIFA Under-20 World Cup in Indonesia later this year, and it was Senegal the first to make it after a win over Benin on Thursday. Nigeria then became the second team to qualify after knocking out Uganda. Well, the CAF best 11 of the group stage included Senegal's Pap Jop, who was named the best player of the group phase, having scored four goals in three games, making him the tournament's top scorer at that stage. And the Gambia coach Abdoulaye Bojang was named best coach of the group phase after leading the baby Scorpions to maximum points in their three group games. Much more on the under-20 AFCON on next week's show. But now let's catch up on the CAF Champions League with the group stage at the halfway point and defending champions Widad Casablanca of Morocco, a bottom of a very tight Group A, but with the game in hand. Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa remain on top of Group B, having drawn 2-2 away to 10-time champions Al-Athli of Egypt last weekend. Al-Athli have just one point from two games, while their Cairo rivals Zamalek are bottom of Group D with one point from three matches. Esperance of Tunisia top Group D with a maximum nine points, and Raja Casablanca of Morocco top Group C also with nine points. So Oluwashina Okaleji joins us this week from Lagos in Nigeria. What stood out for you so far, Shina? Well, I think I've been quite impressed by Halilal of Sudan. Um, they've been the star team for me so far. Having lost to uh, Mamelodi Sundowns by the odd goal, they bounced back to beat Al Ali, um, the 10-time winners. And of course, they edged past Sport uh, 2-1 in Cameroon to Ghana six points. I think so far they've been the team that have quite impressed me a lot. Um, for Al Ali, no one can understand where the struggle is coming from. So it's it's really, really an embarrassing one for Al Ali. But I think they can actually um, still claw their way back. Um, when you look at the other teams there, um, Raja Casablanca have been clinical. Um, maximum nine points from three appearances. Um, and people might say, oh, Group C with Oroya, Simba and Vipers is not a strong one for Raja has been very, very clinical. They take care of business, um, once they are there. Mamelodi Sundowns now understand the trick and what it takes to, um, play on the continent. And in a group with Hal Ilal, Al Hali and Cotton Spore, um, Mamelodi Sundowns top the table there with seven points. Another team that have actually, um, been quite, um, dominant is Esperance of Tunisia. I mean, having to, um, Ghana maximum points. They're taking care of business. Almerek are the second team on that table 
But Zamalek and Al Ali's performance, the bitter rivals of Egyptian football, they've actually shown that troubles at home could reflect on the continent. Remember, Zamalek president's been sent to one year in jail. Um, out of the uh, Mansour, who is the manager, who is the president of Zamalek, is a man always caught in controversy, and now his tongue has landed him in trouble. So there's trouble for Zamalek on the pitch and off the pitch as well. So it just shows that for me, Halilal, I team that everyone will be looking out for. Um, Petro Atletico too, I've been quite impressed, even though they only lead on four points, closely followed by GS Kabil in Group A. Mamelodi uh, Sundowns and Halilal in Group B are the themes that I'm quite impressed by their performance. Yes, and a bit more about that story on the Zamalek president, Mortada Mansour. He's been jailed for a month for verbally insulting the president of Al-Athli. Uh, this actually happened back in 2020, the comments, but uh, Mansour, who's a former member of parliament, had previously used parliamentary immunity to protect him from such lawsuits. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport to the 2022 Best FIFA Awards. And Argentina and Paris Saint-Germain forward Lionel Messi was, as expected, named the Men's Player of the Year at the event on Monday, having won the World Cup with Argentina. Uh, Morocco didn't get that much recognition despite having reached the World Cup semi-finals at Africa's best run ever. Uh, coach Walid Regragui didn't make the final three in the coaches' award. Uh, goalkeeper Yassine Bonu lost out to Argentina's Emi Martinez in the goalkeeper's category. Uh, defender Atraf Hakimi was picked in the FIFA Pro Men's World Eleven. That came a day before news that French prosecutors have opened a preliminary investigation into an alleged rape by Hakimi. Uh, so, Sheena, did Morocco deserve more in these awards? Well, I think um, a lot of people might look at Yasin Bono and say that maybe he could have contested the best goalkeeper award with Emi Martinez, but take nothing away from Argentina and Martinez as well. They actually emerged World Cup champions. So, clearly, Emi Martinez with his heroic in the um, penalty shootout leading to the final and then in the final. It tells that um, there's, there's absolutely no way um, Yassin Bono was going to upstage him. But the Sevilla goalkeeper was quite impressive too in Morocco's run to the World Cup semi-finals. Um, for Ashraf Hakimi, a notable inclusion. Um, many might say, oh, um, other Moroccan players deserve to be there. But we're talking about the world best and um, Ashraf Hakimi making... Um, the, the the best eleven shows that he's undoubtedly one of the finest right backs in um, world football at the moment. Um, his problems off the pitch is really really an embarrassing and um, a sad one for a player who's shown love to his mom publicly, who's displayed affection to his family towards his family, his wife, and his two kids publicly to be caught up in this web of rape allegation and all that is not good for his career. It's not good for his image. Um, is one of the um, for, front runner for the CAF Player of the Year award um, alongside Nigeria's um, Victor Osimhen. They are the two standout players this year alone. So it shows that um, players need to do more in terms of how they carry themselves on the pitch and off, off the pitch. I'm not a moral police, but you don't want to be caught up in this web of allegation because even if you're cleared in the future or you're, um, you know, you're sanctioned eventually, it's going to be on your career for the rest of your life. Um, people who heard about the first news might not be able to pick up on the second news when you are cleared. So it's really sad for the Moroccan defender.
Yes, we'll have to see what happens with that case. Now, CAF are expected to name the host of the 2025 Africa Cup of Nations this month. After Guinea had the hosting taken away from them, there's been quite a contest for the replacement host, with Morocco and Algeria the leading contenders. Morocco hosted the FIFA Club World Cup last month and the Women's Africa Cup of Nations last year, while Algeria staged a great African Nations Championship, Chan, recently. The other contenders are South Africa and Zambia, plus a joint bid from Benin and Nigeria. Uh, So how do you see this going, Sheena? Well, Steve, I was in Algeria last month um, when CAF president Patrice Motsepe made a strong statement that each region um, will have a chance to organize a Cup of Nations because the ruling body cannot assign the organization of the tournament successively to the same region. This would automatically count against Benin and Nigeria uh, because another West African nation, um, Ivory Coast, will host the 2023 edition. Designated host in 1988 before pulling out, Zambia have never hosted the tournament and will have a lot to do to convince the continent that they are ready. While 1996 and 2013 host South Africa's economy is struggling and hosting a major event is not a priority for the country's government. This all means that um, the, the, the Morocco and, um, of course, Algeria are regarded as favorites and both nations will push hard for the right to host the 35th edition of the Continental Showpiece. Algeria last hosted in 1990, a tournament they won after beating Nigeria 1-0 in the final, but they are boosted by a successful hosting earlier this year of the delayed um, 2022 African Nations Championship. January's Chan tournament, which produced big crowds with top facilities on display, may have been overshadowed by the political tensions between both countries, but Algeria are also set to stage another continental event, the Under-17 Nations Cup in April. Morocco, who stepped in as host in 1988, were due to stage it again in 2015, but withdrew because of fears over an Ebola outbreak. But having successfully hosted both the Women's Africa Cup of Nations and the Club World Cup in the past 12 months, the North Africans believe they can see off neighbors and rivals Algeria in the bidding process. I'll be surprised if CAF will overlook both North African bidders because both nations appear to be head and shoulders above the rest of the continent in terms of facilities, infrastructure, and transportation that that is essential for a successful hosting of this tournament. Yeah, thanks, Sheena. And asking for your thoughts on social media this week as to who you think should host the 2025 Africa Cup of Nations. This after Guinea had the hosting rights taken away from them. Uh, So Morocco and Algeria look to be the leading contenders, but also there are South Africa, uh, Zambia, plus a joint bid from Benin and Nigeria. So who do you think should host the 2025 AFCON and why? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Who do you think should host the 2025 AFCON? 
Well, let's stay with the social media. Last week we asked, what are your feelings about Christian Atu's death? As last week on the show we focused on the reaction to the tragic passing of Ghana winger Christian Atu, who was found dead in Turkey following the earthquakes. Atu played 105 games for Newcastle. He was player of the tournament at the 2015 AFCON. Uh, last week we heard about his Christian faith and how he did so much off the pitch to help prisoners, orphans and others. So we asked, what are your feelings about uh, Achu's death? And uh, we had many comments. Uh, we'll start in Ghana where Abu Seydou says, of course, his death breaks so many hearts especially the orphanage where he initiated a project with them. Uh, the project hasn't been completed, but he's gone into eternity. Uh, rest in peace, says, says uh, Abu. Also in Ghana, Simon Afolabi says uh, he did uh, so well while here. May he rest well in the bosom of Jesus Christ. Mustafa Jallo in the Gambia says, I'm really saddened to hear the demise of Christian Achu. His love and kindness for humanity will be greatly missed, especially what he did for the needy and the less privileged. May his gentle soul rest in peace, says Mustafa. Uh, Howard in Botswana says, We're saddened by the loss of one of the best players in African football. We pray for comfort and courage to his family. And a Belong Badgie in the Gambia says, uh, uh, Christian Atu deserves my tears. He impressed so much and did so well when he was on the pitch. Rest in peace, legend, says Belong. In South Sudan, Joth Dutmith says, As a continent mate to Christian Atu, I'm sending my heartfelt condolences and sympathy to the entire Ghanaian people, and especially to his family. Tyroma Simon in Uganda says, May God give you a better place than this world. We shall always remember you and love you in our hearts, uh, says uh, Simon. Ibrahim Mihabi Box Fafana in Sierra Leone says, Rest in peace, our hero, our legend. We all loved you, but God loves you the most, so till we meet again, it's a goodbye, says uh, Ibrahim. Sixer Sixer also in Sierra Leone says he was a great humanitarian footballer, a true icon of the modern game. He was a great player to watch and his memory will never be forgotten, says Sixer. And finally, Sideko Suno in the Gambia says he was my favourite Ghanaian player. May his soul rest in perfect peace. Uh, so sad for Ghanaians, he'll never be forgotten in their history. My heart bleeds for the death of Christian Achu, says Sideko. And we had many, many other messages expressing shock and condolences uh, following Achu's death and wishing his family all the best. You can read more on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. And thanks to everybody who got in touch. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on Chelsea's woes in the English Premier League. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To get the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv and something new there in our blog section. We posted something called, Are We Expecting Too Much of the VAR? Well, last month in the English Premier League, there was lots of criticism for the video assistant referee, especially one weekend where there were some big cases where goals were awarded and then ruled out incorrectly and awarded when they shouldn't have been. So more and more football pundits and managers and fans are concluding that maybe VAR just isn't working. 
So are we expecting too much from technology that does still need the involvement of other human beings who are ordinary people just like you and me, people who get things wrong from time to time? Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Well, the system was introduced uh, in order to provide technical assistance to referees and to ensure that major errors were not made. VAR was uh, intended to step in when a clear and obvious error has been made by the refereeing team uh, to give the benefit of millimeter-accurate lines to judge offside and action replays from multiple angles to assist in judging fouls and penalties. Technology has been a big help in a number of ways. For example, giving a clear and unarguable verdict on whether the ball crossed the goal line or not, and enabling referees to be in constant contact with assistant referees. But in its current form, VAR still relies on human beings to have an input into the decision-making. As we all know, human beings are unreliable and make mistakes. So if a VAR referee forgets to check every camera angle or doesn't assess every part of a move immediately before a goal or draws the offside line across the wrong defender, decisions are made that are wrong. So the jury is out on whether VAR has improved decision-making overall. It certainly delivered a lot of millimeter offside decisions where the offending player has had a toenail, a knee, or a lock of hair over the line. I'm not sure that's what we were hoping for. Yet players have still got away with red card tackles and have not been sent off. Goals have been scored that should have stood and were ruled out. Others have been given when a VAR error missed an offence that should have ruled them out. Can the technology on offside work the same way goal line technology works? with no need for human intervention. Possibly, though the variables are much more numerous, and do we want a game judged increasingly by robots? As humans, we are flawed, and we get things wrong. If our beautiful game is to be beautiful for all the right reasons, surely human frailty as well as human strength and skill needs to be part of the mix. Christians believe God made human beings in his image, but gave us freedom to choose. He didn't make us as robots, but people of flesh and blood, soul and spirit. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. VAR is an imperfect system when it relies on human beings to have an input. Fortunately for us, forgiveness is available for human beings who mess up and confess their failures to God. Will the football world be just as forgiving to VAR? Well, thanks there to uh, Ephraim Tagu. You can read this blog on our website, planetsport.tv. It's in the blog section called Are We Expecting Too Much of the VAR? 
Well, in other stories here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, Senegal's Sadio Mane returned from the leg injury that kept him out of last year's World Cup. He got back in action last weekend for Bayern Munich as they went back to top spot in the Bundesliga with a win over Union Berlin. Mane came on as a sub, and Nigeria's Victor Osimhen got his 19th league goal of the season in Italy as Napoli went 18 points clear at the top of Serie A with a 2-0 win over Empoli. And in the English Premier League, great win for Arsenal, now five points clear over Manchester City as they won their game in hand 4-0 over Everton on Wednesday to take control of the title race again, although it must be said there's still a long way to go and some tricky games ahead for the Gunners. Uh, they looked better, arguably, when the Gunners' Thomas Partey came on at the start of the second half, replacing Jorginho. Arsenal play Bournemouth this Saturday and Man City play Newcastle. And the standout game this weekend is Liverpool against Manchester United on Sunday. Let's go to Stuart Weir in the UK now and uh, Manchester United winning the EFL Cup last weekend for their first trophy in six years as they beat Newcastle 2-0. Uh, Stuart, what would you say about the effect of their new manager, Eric Ten Hag? You know, some people might say it's only the League Cup. But there was a real sense that a corner had been turned for Manchester United, as you say, our first domestic trophy since 2017. And in a season where Manchester United are currently third in the Premier League, still in the FA Cup, you know, beating West Ham this week, having moved into the last 16 of the Europa League with a victory over Barcelona, I mean Barcelona, and to put the league position in context, in the nine years since Sir Alex Ferguson retired, United have only finished in the top three on three occasions, something, of course, which happened every year in the late Ferguson era. Incidentally, Steve, you know, we could rename the League Cup the Manchester Cup, with City having been in six finals and United in five, a combined 11 of the last 17. But a great deal of credit goes to Eric Ten Hag, who, quite frankly, seems to have been able to do what most of his predecessors failed to do. That's to recruit well, organise his team, make them solid at the back, but excellent going forward. And he recruited well, but he's also given extra motivation to long-standing players. I mean, Casemiro, signed for Real Madrid, aged 30, the critics said, too old, paid too much, too long a contract, only come for the money. But he's been a revelation, controlling midfield, the enforcer. But whatever he was bought for, Steve, it wasn't his heading ability. But there he was on Sunday, half an hour into the final, and he meets Luke Shaw's free kick with a header. Lisandro Martinez, another bad buy, only 1.75 metres tall, much too small for a central defender. But he's proved the critics wrong. Been magnificent all season, and in his spare time, Steve, he just popped over to Qatar and won the World Cup. Much of last season, Marcus Rashford was struggling for form. Fred was a liability. Luke Shaw was out of the team. David De Gea was past his best and about to be replaced by Dean Henderson. This season, Rashford is scoring for fun, more than in any other season. Fred, alongside fellow Brazilian Casemiro, looks a world beater. Luke Shaw's having his best season ever, sometimes playing in his normal left-back position, Sometimes left side of midfield, sometimes central defender. De Gea is back to his best as well. And you have to say that Den Haag takes credit for that. And the manager has not been afraid to take tough decisions. 
Harry Maguire is the Manchester United club captain and an England regular, but Ten Hag believes that Varane and Martinez is his best pairing, and Maguire has hardly played. But showing great sensitivity, Ten Hag put Maguire on with two minutes to go in the final so that he, as captain, could collect the trophy. One little story for me illustrates his brilliant man management. Marcus Rashford, in the form of his life, one day was suddenly on the bench. When Ten Hag met the media, he said, a disciplinary matter between him and me, nothing more to say. Then Rashford came out and said, well, I was actually late this morning because I slept in and the manager was quite right to punish me. A real sign of mutual respect. The only concern for Manchester United is they still have 14 league games to play and if they go all the way, 11 cup ties. But they do have a big squad. Finally, Steve, I would just suggest that Newcastle should not be too disappointed losing the League Cup final because when Eddie Howe was appointed manager 15 months ago, the team was fighting relegation. Now Newcastle have reached the final and have got a great chance to finish in the top four. Quite a turnaround. Yeah, Newcastle are certainly having a a really good season nonetheless. And congrats to the Manchester United fans uh, getting that trophy after a six-year wait. Um, Not so good for Chelsea, Stuart, uh, in 10th position, struggling and huge pressure on manager Graham Potter. Well, the crisis indeed continues at Chelsea, beaten 2-0 at Tottenham. And you know, Steve, before this season, Chelsea had not lost three consecutive games for 20 years. This season, it's happened three times. Three times they've lost three in a row. Chelsea have only won two of the last 15 league games. They've only scored one goal in their last four games. You know, Chelsea have a first-team squad of 43 players. Yes, I said 43. And 18 of those players have come to the club since the end of last season. If you'd asked me before the League Cup final to guess what the Manchester United team would be, I think I would have got eight, nine, possibly ten correct, as Ten Hag really has a settled team. But with Chelsea, you'd have no idea who's going to be playing. I mean, in the transfer window, Chelsea decided to sell Hakim Ziyech because he was no longer needed. The moves fell through and now he's playing every week. Big money signings like Mudrik, and Fofana were on the bench at the weekend, along with Mason Mount. And of course, another 15 players didn't even make the bench. Harry Kane scored Tottenham's second goal from a corner when he was being marked by Raheem Sterling. Now, surely Chelsea would have identified Kane as the most likely person to score for Tottenham. I mean, after all, it was his 268th goal. And you'd have had one of your best defenders looking after it, rather than a forward like Raheem Sterling. So it just seems that Chelsea have so many players, they don't know what their best team is. Their organisation somehow has gone wrong. I mean, Graham Potter did an excellent job as manager of Brighton, but he looks to have lost his way at Chelsea. And I think unless he can turn it around, uh, he may not last. Yes, really difficult times for Chelsea. They're at home to Leeds this weekend. Uh, Leeds are very much in the relegation fight, which uh, uh, continues to change all the time, Stuart. Well, the relegation battle looks as if it will run and run. Southampton stay bottom after losing 1-0 to Leeds in a very Spanish game because Leeds are managed by Javi Gracia, Southampton by Ruben Sellers, and the Leeds goal was scored by Firpo, all of them Spanish. Last week I said I feared for 
David Moyes as West Ham had slipped into the bottom three. Well, West Ham then beat Nottingham Forest 4-0 and remarkably all four goals came in the last 20 minutes. I know you'd want to know this, Steve. That was the first time for 10 years that a team was level three quarters of the way through a game and scored four goals. The last one in December 2012 was Arsenal 3, Newcastle 3 and then Arsenal scored four goals in the last 20. But two of West Ham's goals were scored by Danny Ings. And you know, when your team is struggling to score goals, buying a proven Premier League goal scorer, as David Boyce did with things, was a stroke of genius, rather than a continental player who may take some time to settle in. Bournemouth lost 4-1 at home to Manchester City, leaving Southampton, Bournemouth and Everton as the bottom three. But with Leeds, West Ham, Wolves and Leicester within three points of relegation. And because there are these seven teams in the relegation battle, you know, every weekend there's a game between two of the bottom seven. So it's it's going to run and run and it's quite fascinating. Yeah, it uh, really is very, very tight indeed. And um, what else have we got for us, Stuart? Well, Steve, I saw a fascinating statistic on Erling Haaland. In an average game, he has 27 touches of the ball compared to Jack Grealish and Gundogan, who have over 60 touches. But, you know, that doesn't seem to be a problem to Haaland because he still scored 27 goals this season, more than a goal per game. Shola Amiobi, who played for Newcastle United and for Nigeria, even in the World Cup, is currently one of a number of ex-players who is on the Premier League's player-to-executive pathway scheme. It's an effort to get more ex-players involved at boardroom level. And in this, he's also been supported by the Premier League's Black Participants Advisory Group, who at the same time are trying to get more black players involved in running their clubs. So that really seems uh, an excellent initiative all round. Yeah, sounds good indeed. Uh, thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, that's it for this week's show. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Oluwashina Okaleji in Lagos, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.